Acts chapter 16, verse 16, it says this. <coughs> Hold up, let me set this up, right? So now Paul and Silas and Luke, as we're going to read, they're, they're preaching this gospel, and they're going to Europe. They're going to different places, and they're spreading this news, right? And there's some things that happen as a result. And so let's just take a look at this. It says, one day, as we were going down to the place of prayer. Now, who's writing this? Who's writing this? Luke. Everybody, who's writing this? Luke. Luke is writing this book of Acts. And he says, as we were going down to the place of prayer. All right? So the we is inclusive Luke. We met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, I want you all to look up here. I want you all to notice the fact that she's shouting to the town that these people are out here talking about what? How to be saved. They're out here talking about salvation. She is highlighting to the community that these people, what they're about is they're about talking about how to be saved. They're talking about the salvation stuff, right? And then it goes on to say in verse 18, this went on day after day. And then until Paul got so aspirated that he turned around her and smacked her in the, no, he didn't smack her. He said to... He said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. <laughs> and it instantly left her. <laughs> it goes on to say in verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is, is in an uproar because of these Jews. And they shouted to the city officials, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us to practice here in Rome. Now, at this point, we see that the, the Paul and Silas are brought to the city officials. And now they're telling the city officials, hey, yo, they're talking about how to be saved. They're talking about this salvation stuff. So now the city officials know what they're about, right? So not just the town, the city officials know what the problem here is. Verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. They're not feeling the salvation talk. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jail put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Now, now, look up. Now we're in this situation. Now we're in jail. We got locked up. We're behind bars and we're chained in these shackles, right? And now, if this were to happen in today's time, if these were Christians in today's time, they would have been thinking, you know what? Why do we ever come to spread this gospel in, in Europe? We should have just stayed somewhere where God was going to bless. <laughs> we should have just stayed somewhere where God's provision was before us, right? Because wherever there's a vision, there is provision. So the fact that we're locked up right now is evidence that God is not here. Right? So and, and if they were in our day and age, if they were a part of this church, no, I'm joking. If they were, if they were, if they were a part of this day and age, right, if, if this was today, they would have looked at their chains. They would have looked at the prison cell, and they would have said, God, we were preaching for you. How could you let us be beaten and thrown in jail? 
What? Did you abandon us? But of course, we know if you've been in the church community for any amount of time and you've heard the story, you know what they did next. So let's read it in case you don't. Acts 16 and 25 says, around midnight, and this is where the organist comes in, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. And suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations, y'all. All the doors, all the doors, all the doors, all the doors, all the doors. All the doors immediately flew open in the chains of every person, every prisoner, every prisoner, every prisoner, not just Paul and Silas, every prisoner fell off. And for a moment, I want to talk about the God of the earthquake, y'all. I love the God of the earthquake, right? So in our culture, it's become a trend to focus on the God of love, the God of grace, the God of mercy and patience. And don't get me wrong. I love that about God. The fact that it's not on my works that I'm saved, the fact that I can put my hope and eternal trust in this Jesus who is patient with me, who's not counting my sins against me, who's, who's loving, his, his love and mercy endures forever. I love that about God. Those are qualities of his divine nature. But there's an aspect of God that we don't really highlight. We talk about Jehovah Jireh which is the God who provides, right? We talk about Jehovah Rapha, who is the God who heals, right? But we don't talk about Jehovah Gabor. You've never heard about Jehovah Gabor, who was the God who fights for us. It's the God of war. It's the God who sends earthquakes. It's the God who's willing to shake things up in your situation just so that you can wake up to the reality of God's presence in your life, right? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So listen, listen, listen. Sometimes God comforts us in our troubles. And don't you love that about God? That he comforts us in our troubles? But listen, there were sometimes he needs to send an earthquake. There were sometimes he needs to send an earthquake in your life. Because listen, everything up until this point, Paul and Silas had to, had to go through. They were beaten. They were thrown in jail. Now they're praying and singing. Do you think that they were like, yay, an earthquake now? Don't you think that if, just put yourself in that situation. I was preaching this gospel. They beat me, beat me down, threw me in this jail, and all I can do is just pray and sing praises to God, right? And now there's an earthquake. It's like, now what, God? Right? What, what, what else? Am, am I now about to die? <laughs> is, this, is this whole building going to crumble on me? Is that how this is going to end? And have you ever asked your question, have you ever asked a question like that to God, like, okay, all this stuff's going on, and then an earthquake comes, as if you didn't have enough to deal with. Then an earthquake comes and literally shakes the foundation of your entire life, and you're like, now what, God? What? As if I needed an earthquake in my life, as if my life wasn't shaky enough. (laughs) But listen, y'all, the goal of the earthquake is to wake us up. The goal of the earthquake is to get us to pay attention to things that we would have otherwise disregarded. Look what it says in Acts 16, verse 27. I love, I'm pumped, y'all. It says, look, the jailer woke up. Oh, that's so good. The jailer woke up. (laughs) 
I know, I'm crazy. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed that the prisoners had escaped, so he drew a sword to kill himself. And then Paul shouted, stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. And the jailer learned that you can't sleep during an earthquake. <laughs> right? Did I, right? And so the, the, jailer, the jailer woke up. All of my life I've read this text, and I thought that God sent the earthquake so that Paul and Silas could be set free. But what I didn't realize was that the, God didn't need to send an God didn't need to send, listen, God didn't need to send an earthquake to set Paul and Silas free. Y'all know, hold up, first of all, the jealous sleep. And so I know that God has a still small voice. So I know that God could have whispered and those, jail, those, those shackles could have melted off like butter. And they could have tiptoed past them jail, those jailers without waking them up. So the earthquake was not for Paul and Silas and for the other people to be set free. The, the, the earthquake was for the jailer to be set free. And so we focus on Paul and Silas prayed and saying praises to God. And, and, all the, and immediately there was an earthquake. And, every, and it's like, well, God didn't need to do that. God could have blinked and their chains fell off. Right. But God wanted to wake the jailer up because guess what? They were the only ones in chains. The jailer was in chains because he didn't know Jesus. And God was trying to spread his great gospel to the ends of the earth. And he cared so much about this one guy and his family. At this point, the gospel spreading to 5,000 people, over 5,000 people. And, and, and you would think, God, aren't you happy enough? No, because he cares so much about the one. He cared so much about the one. Nobody else cared about the one. The one who's just doing his daily job. Who, who, who knows who else he was given charge of just sitting there and watching them. Everybody else is doing their own thing, going about their own life, and he's just chilling. He falls asleep. Nobody's worried about the jailer. Who cares about the jailer? Who cares about the person that goes unnoticed? Right. God cares. And he's cares so much that he's willing to send an earthquake to wake you up to the reality of his presence. Let's keep reading, y'all. Hold on a second. What does it take for God to get your attention? <laughs> we like to think that God has our attention because he loves us. And we experience his love. But you can sleep on his faithfulness. But you can't sleep during an earthquake. You can sleep when God is always providing for you, right? Because you just expect it. You wake up every morning, you put on your clothes. You don't have to have clothes to put on. You wake up every morning and you have a roof over. You don't have to have a roof over your head. We ignore the daily provisions of God. We can sleep on his faithfulness, but soon as an earthquake comes in our lives and shakes up our, the foundation of our lives, it's like, hold up, God, where, 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 where are you, God? What's happening, God? What's, why? Because you can't sleep during an earthquake. And now God has your attention. So the question is like, what does it take for God to get your attention? You're wondering why you go through so much, because that's what it takes to get your attention. You're just one of those people who God needs to wake you up by doing, you know, I wish it weren't that way. I wish that God wouldn't have to do anything for me to wake up. But the reality is that that's not the case. I'm so rebellious that God needs to punch me in my eye until I'm bloody in order for me to get 
him to get my attention. That's just me. And I'm not saying that God wants to punch you out and kill, <laughs> hurt you and all that stuff, right? And I'm not saying that the, the natural disasters in our world are caused by God, but wouldn't you consider that, that God would use the things that are happening in our world to try to get our attention? I mean, turn on the news, turn on, look on Facebook, your Facebook feed. There's an earthquake going on. The, the, the world is just in chaos. And, and I believe that God is using this to, to try to get our attention. Because that's just the only thing that gets us to pay attention. Amen. I love, I love Psalm 24. I'm going to give you this. Psalm 24 verse 9 and 10 in the message version, right? I love it. It says, wake up! <laughs> in case you fell asleep just now. Wake up, you sleepyhead city. Wake up, you sleepyhead people. King glory is ready to enter, right? And, and it says, it's like someone asked David, like, well, who is king glory? He's like, I'm glad you asked. God, the God of angel armies is king glory. And there's this thing where in our society, listen, look around the room, look, at, look around the room. In 10 years, this is going to be your average church service if we do nothing. Your average church service is going to be meeting just like they do in third world countries, hiding to come and meet because there's so much persecution. The church is dying because millennials are falling away from the church. They don't have anything to do with the church or anything to do with institutions, right? And, and if you're not careful, if you just sit here in your seat and come here and just listen to me preach and we do nothing, this is going to be the church for in the next 10 years. This is it. Because the church is dying. But I wish so, I had somebody in here who agreed with me that's like, listen, as long as I'm living, the church is not dead. Do I have somebody in here who's like, as long as I'm alive, the church is not dead. We've got to do so. God cares about the one. To the point to where he's willing to send an earthquake to shake things up, to get the attention of the one. What are you willing to do? What are we willing to do? Are we okay with just our casual, I'll go to church, and then that's it? <laughs> are we really okay with that? Because if we're okay with that, that's wh that's where we're, this is where we're headed. This right here is all we have to expect. This is all we have to hope for. But there's somebody, we're transitioning to Midtown. I believe that God has called us to that area. There's, well, there's, there's one person, there's at least one person who's lost and in need of rescue. What are we willing to do? What are we willing to do? Are we just, we just worried about maintaining our lives, right? Getting our piece of the American dream. Give me a slice of that pie, right? And I'll just do a mission trip every once in a while just to make myself feel like I'm giving back. <laughs> but our story doesn't just end there. Let's keep reading. So the jailer goes to Paul and Silas, and he's like, oh, my goodness. Is it there? The, j the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon, dungeon <laughs> and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
Now, remember, it was no secret what they came to do. From the very time they set foot on there, the girl who had the uh, fortune-telling demon, <laughs> she was shouting that they were here to preach about what, what it takes to be saved. Then they were brought before the city officials, and they were told the same thing. Don't you think that the jailer was told, hey, we, we're, I just need you to watch this because they're, in here, they're over here talking about the salvation stuff, and they're causing a ruckus. I just need you to watch them, make sure they don't escape. And so now the jailers, he's up, right? And, and, he's, and, and remember he was going to kill himself? Get this. God woke him up, and now he can actually see. And he thought that the only way he could be rescued was if he killed himself. He thought that the only thing that would save him because he was scared about what was going to happen to him, he thought the only thing that would save him is I might as well die. And so Paul's like, stop. <laughs> We're all here. And guess what he goes? The next thing he does is, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? God woke him up to the reality of his presence. So many of us are following Jesus, and we still sleep. We still sleep on him. We have no idea what he's trying to do in our lives. You, you think that he's trying to make you like this big business person or this big superstar. That, that's not the end goal, right? And that could be a byproduct. That, that could be a result. But what he's trying to do is make you a follower of him, first of all. And he's trying to get you to tell others about him. That's your, that's your purpose. So if, every, if everything else in your life can come before that eternal purpose, you are missing the point of why you're here. You ain't here to go to work every day. Y'all can sleep if you want. You ain't here to go to work every day. I'm a musician, but all my music, you ain't here to do music every day. I love music. I've been doing this ever since I was young. But we ain't here to do that. You ain't here to do what you think you're here to do. You are here to follow Jesus and to tell others about him. That is your number one purpose and priority here on this earth. And wouldn't it be a shame if we put everything in front of that purpose and think we're following Jesus? I'm a follower of Jesus. So what do they say to him after he asked that question? They reply, believe what? Uh-uh, believe what? Believe what? In. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. So many of us have an issue with following Jesus because we're really not trusting in him. Do you know what it is when you put yourself in something? Do you know what it is when you put yourself in something? It's like, I'm in these clothes right now, right? So unless I come out of these clothes, I'm always going to be connected to the clothes, right? That's trusting Jesus. The only time that you can come out of that is if you literally take that out and you're no longer in it or you exchange it for something else. Some of us believe about Jesus. You believe about God. You, you know that there is a God. There is a Jesus, but you haven't put yourself in clothes just clothed yourself in him, found your identity in him. We can believe about him and still trust in lies of the enemy. We can believe about God and still make negotiations with things that are just not true. 
and find ourselves following theories and opinions and philosophies that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And that's what our trust is in. Our belief about is God, but our trust is in these other things. But the answer to the guard's problem, look at this, the answer to the guard's problem was not to be found in another circumstance, right? It wasn't to just remove him from this situation. It wasn't just to remove Paul and Silas from the situation. The answer was to be found in Jesus. What must I do to be saved? Believe in Jesus. That was the answer. And then what happens? And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in this household. Even at that hour of the night, even at that hour of the night, y'all know how it is. I speak for me. At certain hours of the night, I'm going to sleep <laughs> or I'm going to eat <laughs> or I'm going to do something that this hour of the night calls for. But don't talk to me about, <laughs> don't call me, <laughs> you know, and looking for me to come and, and like that, because that, that's, that's just how we are, right? After a certain time, I'm out. At a certain time, y'all ready to be out. Y'all throwing up the deuces. I love y'all. I love E2VG and everything, but there's that hour that comes where you're like, all right, peace. I'm going to my bed, right? But even in that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in this household were immediately baptized. Like how? Like what? Let's just go to the tub and <laughs> take a dip. He brought them into his house and set a meal before him. He even cooked for them at this hour. And he and his entire household, they rejoiced because they believed what? In God. They all believed in God. And the precursor to all of this, by the way, was the fact that Paul and Silas had this focus that even though they were in this circumstance, right, nothing was going to take them off of the reality of the presence of God, right? It's easy in circumstances to focus, focus on God's absence, right? God, where are you <laughs> is what we say. Well, how could you, right? But they were focused on God's goodness. I want you to write this down. When you're in a circumstance, if you assume God's absence, you'll always lose sight of his goodness. Every single time. It's not, it's not an if, and, or but. It's not, don't ask any questions. If you assume God's absence in your situation, you will lose sight of his goodness. His goodness will become just a little bit blurry. God, why? Where are you? How? Are you far from? I feel so distant. You'll start to, but with each statement, you'll start to lose sight of his goodness. But when you assume God's goodness, you'll find comfort in his presence. You'll start to realize God's here. Even though I'm in this situation, God's here. He's good. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. He's not going to let me just be left in this situation without any hope. I've got an eternal hope, and it's in Jesus Christ. So in every circumstance, I'm going to assume God's goodness. Every circumstance that I find myself in, I'm just going to assume that God is good. Can y'all imagine if you did that? Imagine if when you were encountered with a circumstance or a trouble or an earthquake that you just assume that God is good. Imagine how that would change your life. It would wake you up to the reality of God's presence. Let's pray.